Um, If you have your Bibles, meet me in Exodus chapter 14, verses 15 through 29. It's Exodus chapter 14, verses 15 through 29. This is a very familiar passage and a very familiar story. And so uh, my challenge to you is to just ask the Lord to show you this with fresh eyes and through a fresh lens this morning and just see what he might be saying to you through this very familiar story. We're going to be in the Exodus story when uh, God takes Israel through the Red Sea. And so let's just pray that uh, God would just give us a fresh insight Uh, into his word this morning. I'll read the passage uh, for us. Uh, Beginning in verse 15, it says, The Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry land. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the angel of the Lord, who was going before the host of Israel, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of God moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the Lord drove back the sea uh, by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land and the waters were divided and the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground. The waters being a wall to them on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them in the midst of the sea and all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots and his horsemen. And in the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptians' forces into a panic, clogging the chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. And then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. Uh, So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned, covered the chariots and the horsemen. All of the hosts of Pharaoh had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained, but the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right and on their left. Let's go before our Lord in prayer. Father God, we come to you in your mighty son's Jesus name. I pray that you would speak to us uh, through what is a familiar story, but I pray that you would just speak to us in a fresh way. Open up our hearts. May may the seed of your word uh, find itself on fertile ground in our hearts. I pray that you would move me out of the way. God, I pray that I would decrease and that you would increase and be made much of. Speak to your people. It's in your mighty son's Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. In his book, The Problem of Pain, C.S. Lewis says this. He says, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf 
worlds. I'll read it one more time. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Uh, God often uses pains and tension in our lives to get our attention because often consequently we're often more open to listen to him and hear from him in times of pain and times of tension. I was having a conversation recently uh, with someone. They said they've heard uh, the conversation of faith in God spoken about uh, more often in this season than they've heard in a long time. There are even statistics uh, after 9-11 when church attendance began to rise uh, after that incident. And so there's something that happens when God uses the pains in our lives, whether it be something collectively or individually. God uses those things sometimes to speak to us because quite often uh, we're most often uh, we're most open. Uh, even if you can look back at your own faith story, if you just think about it, uh, what are, where are the moments where you grew the most? Uh, maybe there were some mountaintop experiences that God might have used to uh, grow you in your walk with the Lord. So maybe you had some of that, these mountaintop, mountain peak experiences. But quite often, God develops us and forms us in these valleys of life uh, where that valley is often fertile and we're, we're often very receptive to what he's doing. He, he will often use our suffering and our brokenness uh, to bring us to the ends of ourselves, which leads us to our first point today. Uh, suffering brings us to the end of ourselves and coming to the end of ourselves brings us to God. Suffering brings us to the end of ourselves and coming to the end of ourselves brings us to God. Exodus 14, we hear, we see here, the Israelites have been brought to the end of themselves. Uh, we saw this last week. They've been brought to the Red Sea. They have the Egyptian army behind them. They have the ocean, uh, the, the Red Sea in front of them, and they've been brought to the end of themselves. They have no other plan. They have no other card to play. They're absolutely defenseless without God's intervention. Uh, but something's interesting in this passage as you go from verse 14 to 15. Uh, in verse 14, you see a very courageous and bold Moses, who is uh, telling the people to be uh, to not be afraid and they only have to be silent. But if you look at verse 15, now God is having to respond to Moses with a rhetorical question. It's a very interesting interchange. In Exodus 14, he's be silent. God has you. And in Exodus 15, God is speaking to him. And here we are in Exodus verse 14, verse 15. It says, the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? This is God speaking to Moses. Why do you cry to me? And so in my study this week, I've just been wrestling with the question, where, where does this question come from? Why does it come? We see this gap between this bold and confident Moses and now this Moses who's been having to talk back into his mission here. And um, many scholars believe that Moses was actually getting flustered himself at this point, he's trying to calm these people down. They're, they're in the middle of a crisis. They're not really buying into this. They don't really know him. They don't really know his God. And now he's getting a little flustered. That's what many scholars believe. And now God is having to remind him like, hey, Moses, remember, remember what I said. Remember my, remember my promises. Remember that I told you we were going to get to this point and I was going to bring you guys through. And so this is actually uh, God now having to redirect 
Moses as the people have gotten to the end of themselves. And we might even have a flustered leader here who has gotten to the end of himself. Uh, but God is looking for his man Moses to believe. And he's meeting them right here at the end of themselves. And this is where the good stuff happens. This is where God works. This is where the good stuff happens. God meets us in our weakness. Our weakness does not deter him. It does not turn him away. He does not uh, get uh, annoyed by us in our weaknesses. He is not uh, one to disassociate himself with us because of our weaknesses. Uh, he is not like man. In, in this world, unfortunately, often when people see weakness, maybe just maybe they might not be too excited about you in your weakness or they might hold a grudge against you in your weakness or there might be some consequences consequences on your job and at your work because of weaknesses but but god does not uh, run from our weaknesses he's not turned away from the fact that israel is empty-handed and quite often we come to him also empty-handed uh, it's, it's scary, though, if we can be honest, it's scary to be vulnerable. It's scary to be open. It's scary to be in a place of need. We, we live in a fallen world where if you're open about your weakness or about your need, who knows? Someone might tell someone. Uh, who knows? It might end up online on the Internet or something. And so this this idea of being vulnerable and weak is actually uh, kind of scary. But God loves us in our weaknesses. I'm going to read this excerpt. Uh, from a writer named E.M. Bounds. He has this story to say. He says, a good friend of mine who is quite the lover of deer hunting told me the following story. He says, rising early one morning, he said, I heard the sound of a pack of hound dogs chasing a little deer. And looking away to a broad field in front of me, I saw a young baby deer making its way across the field and giving signs that its race was almost over and that it was about to be captured. Coming closer to me, it leapt over the fence and crouched 10 feet from where I stood. And a moment later, hear this now, two of the hound dogs came over. And so he was getting, this little deer was getting chased by these hound dogs. And when the baby fawn ran into my direction and pushed his head in between my legs, I lifted the little thing up to my chest, swinging it around and fought off the dogs. I felt in that moment that no dog should capture that fawn after its weakness had appealed to my strength. So it is with human helplessness. It appeals to almighty God. Our weakness appeals to his strength. We serve the God who touches the leper's skin. We serve the God who heals the sick and touches the sick and the weak. Uh, we serve the God who marries and stays married to the unfaithful. That is who our God is. We serve the God who uh, forgives the murderer and gives the murderer a new life. That is the God of the scriptures, this God of grace who pursues the ugly, who invites the unlikely person to the dance, uh, who, who pursues the unlikely and desires the unlovely. That is who our God is. And someone might need to hear this morning that God does not have a problem with having to rescue you. That's who he is. He is the God who saves. So if you're in a situation where you need to be rescued, that, is, that does not bother him. That does not annoy him. That is who he is and what he does. He is completely okay with being the God who saves. Quite often, we have to get comfortable with being saved 
and getting saved and letting go of our pride because we live in a world that really doesn't allow us to be weak and vulnerable often, but we can be weak and vulnerable with our God. He is not asking you to be a better or bigger or greater version of yourself before he loves you and gives you his grace. We all desire to know uh, that we can be loved in our messiness. We want to know that we can be our full selves and all of our ugliness and all of our weaknesses we want to be ourselves that we are when we wake up in the morning, haven't brushed our teeth or, or washed our face or, or touched our hair yet. We want to know that we can be that person and still receive love. Uh, I, I discovered this more and more as a youth minister in my years doing youth ministry. And so just working with teenagers, sometimes they will push the boundaries to see how far they can push and how hard they can push because they want to know, are you going to run away? Is this a safe place to be? Because if you see how rough I really can get and how bad I really can get, who knows, you might just give up on me and you might not love me. And we all have that in us. We want to know, can I really, really, really be me and be loved by God? And the answer is yes. Uh, he loves us in spite of us, which leads us to our next point. God rescues us because of who he is not because of what we have done. God rescues us because of who he is, not because of what we have done. Continuing verse four, in verse 15, this is, Mo, this is God to Moses, why do you cry to me? He redirects Moses. He says, tell the people of Israel to go forward, lift up your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry land. Can you see this? God is doing the wooing and the pursuing. He's calling them forward. He's inviting them to the dance. He's calling them to take those baby steps. Just come on, come on. Take the step forward. I'm with you. I know this is difficult. I know this is hard. I know you're not used to this. This isn't your normal, but I'm calling you to take a step of faith forward. I love you. I am drawing you into this new identity, into this new relationship with me. He pursues the unlikely and the unlovely. Continuing in verse 19, we're going to see here uh, that God just continues to uh, make provision for them in this moment. In verse 19, it says, Then the angel of God, who was going before the host of Israel, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of of Israel. Look at this great provision. Uh, their greatest enemy and their greatest threat and their greatest fear is behind them on their heels. And this is what God does. The angel of the Lord and this pillar of cloud goes behind them, forming this barrier between them and that which they fear most. God is fighting for them. He is keeping his promise. He is going behind them and fighting off their enemies. Uh, that thing that they fear most, he is getting in between them and that thing. You might be weak, Israel. You might not have strength to fight off your enemies, Israel, but I do. And I'm putting a wedge in between you and your enemies. You are safe now. And they're having to learn to believe that they're safe now, but they actually are safe now. They, they've been uh, grumbling, they've been complaining, they've been crying out, they've been afraid, but all along they've been safe. God has been making 
provisions. They have been forfeiting the, uh, the joy and the peace that they could have been uh, had at this moment. Uh, similarly, in our lives, uh, Christ stands in the gap for us. He, he fights off our enemies. He says that you are safe now. I have defeated sin. I have defeated death and its power over you. You are safe now. I have defeated the devil for you. You are safe now. I fight off your enemies for you. And there is no scenario, no health scenario, no financial scenario, no relational scenario that you can find yourself in. You name the scenario, you can find yourself in it. And if you are in Christ, you are safe in that scenario. We are safe in him. He, he offers provisions for our future and for our present. He's in front of us, just like he was with Israel. He's behind us, he's beside us, he is with us. We are safe in his hands. We can look to him in our helplessness. The psalmist says it like this in Psalm 121. He says, I lift up, I lift up my eyes to the hills from where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. You will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep the lord is your keeper the lord is your shade on your on your right hand the, the sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night the lord will keep you from all evil he will keep your life the lord will keep your going out and coming in from this time forth and forevermore i just love in, in that passage where the psalmist just communicates that God will keep us now in this moment and in forevermore. And, and sometimes it's easy to dream about, well, one day, someday in heaven, God will protect me and keep me. And that's where all my provision will be. And we can trust God for eternity, but we have a lot harder time trusting God for today. But it, it makes all of the sense in the world that if God can keep me for eternity, surely he can take care of today. He can take care of a few days today if he can take care of all of eternity. He rescues us because of who he is, not because of what we have done. Um, I became a Christian uh, when I was 17 years old. I was a depressed teenager. Uh, I was I made mediocre grades. I was a straight C student, kind of barely making it. Uh, lost any confidence of going to college of any kind. I gave up on all of those aspirations. Uh, as a teenager, I, I was immoral. I was immoral. I had no sense of purpose. I felt like I was just kind of existing, just here, and. Sometimes I have to think about the fact that God saved that version of me. He didn't wait for me to do anything. He didn't wait for me to get into ministry and prove myself to him. He didn't wait till I preach a sermon or write something or work at a church or do any kind of religious duty to offer his love to me. And I think about that sometimes. He met me just right there in that moment. I had nothing to offer, uh, nothing to offer at all. And that's what and who he chose to save. I was just a lost kid in Whitehaven with a broken heart. 
And God met me right there in that moment. I had nothing to do with him saving me and I still don't. It was a rescue mission. And by default of a rescue mission, you are in a place of helplessness where you have to get saved. God has to intervene in the midst of your helplessness. And I have to think about that sometime. I have to recollect on that because that stops me from striving for my salvation. I don't, to, I don't have to strive for love. I don't have to strive for acceptance. This is a, a rescue mission. I was a confused C student with no idea of what life was about. And God loved me and saved me. And that all I had to offer was a broken heart, sin and confusion. And he met me in it. Striving for love and acceptance becomes a senseless thing in some ways once love has found you first. Chasing for love and acceptance becomes a senseless thing and an empty pursuit because God has already chased us down. Uh, friends, if God has chased us and pursued us with his great Love is a part of this great rescue. What makes us think that he would ever leave us? He invested so much in chasing us down in this great salvation. Which leads us to our last point. The, sal the salvation of the Lord displays both God's wrath and his mercy. The salvation of the Lord displays both God's wrath and his mercy. We see this on full display in this story, uh, continuing in verse uh, 26, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. God is pub publicly uh, crushing the Egyptians and the source of their confidence. These chariots, uh, these horses, uh, was that this is this was their strength. They found so much confidence and hope in their chariots and their, their horses. Their, their resources made them feel uh, superior and, and secure. Well, God is showing the people that security is neither found in horses or chariots, but in Christ alone and God alone. And He's displaying His glory. Over their, over their strength, over these things that they've found so much confidence in. Um, we may not uh, place confidence in horses or chariots. We don't do that in 2020. Uh, but we may place our confidence in money. Uh, we may place our confidence in our reputation. Uh, we may place our confidence in our network and who we know or uh, our, our name or our knowledge and what we know. And these horses and chariots symbolize for us what it looks like to place our, our hope and our confidence in the things of this world. And it's not wrong to have money, it's not wrong to have education, but when you place your, your confidence in that, for that to be your savior, God, God promises to oppose the proud when they lift themselves up and, and, and try to play his role. And so that is what is happening in this story. Uh, God is proving himself mighty and displaying his strength over these people and their idols. And continuing in verse 27, it says, so when Moses, so, Mo so Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the sea and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. God is a just God. God is a God 
of wrath. And here we see Egypt getting God's wrath. Uh, Their chariots and their horses cannot save them at this moment. And then I ask myself, why aren't the Israelites getting drowned? And it's, it's grace. It's not because of how good they were. They were just grumbling and defying God and his, and his leader. <laughs> so it's not that they were so good, but this is an act of grace that they're being saved as the Egyptians are being, uh, 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 they're, they're getting the wrath of God in this moment. And sometimes, well, oftentimes, uh, we have to see what we are saved from in order to appreciate the salvation. They're, they're getting to see the wrath of God on full display and they're getting, they're getting a, a glimpse at what they're being saved from. And we even see this with the cross. The cross is this ugly, gruesome picture, but it gives us a, a snapshot of what we are being saved from in order that we might give God glory for his grace in our lives. Uh, continuing in verse 28, it says, The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horses and all of the host of Pharaoh that had followed him into the sea. Not one of them remained I just want to pause here. This is very graphic. I think we've seen a lot of cartoons of this, the cartoon version of this where it's like, oh, like the little water come. No, this is grown men being drowned in real water. This is it's kind of it's kind of it's kind of graphic. And once again, it's showing us the ugliness of this judgment. Uh, but we're also seeing the grace of God because this is what the people are being saved from. Uh, continuing in verse 29 but the people of israel here's the grace but the people of israel walked on dry ground through the sea the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left israel is walking free they have been declared free but now they're actually walking by faith and taking steps of freedom and experiencing this grace of God. Quite often we can actually be free and be declared free, but not living as free people, still living under bondage. But we see here they are taking these steps of freedom. Uh, it's one thing to be declared free, but it's another thing to walk in that freedom. Um, often times, and this, this can happen in our walks with Christ, where we can we can be like uh, Otis off of the Andy Griffith show. I don't know if anybody's ever watched Andy Griffith. I grew up watching it all the time with my grandmother. We watched it all the time. Uh, but when Otis would get in trouble, if you watched this, you know, he would, he, he, he would drink too much and he would get in trouble and he would go grab the keys and lock himself up in jail. He'd punish himself and discipline himself uh, for, for, his, for his actions. And often Christians can act like Otis when, when we sin or when we fall short. Uh, we, we feel this need to discipline ourselves and to lock ourselves up and to beat ourselves up with guilt and shame. And the devil begins to do his thing, beginning to talk us down because we feel like because we have fallen short. Now I have to go lock myself up and discipline myself. Uh, but, but God did not save us so that we can go put ourselves back in jail and beat ourselves up. He does not save us uh, to go back into that place of, of having to try to save ourselves and be our own heroes again. Some people might not be like Otis. Maybe you're not like Otis. Maybe you don't go beat yourself up and lock yourself up. Maybe you uh, go into denial and try to perform 
and maybe if I do enough good and do enough good works that can cover up the wrong that I've done. And we do this exhausting moralistic thing where I have to do enough good to cover up from a bad and trying to fix myself. And it is absolutely exhausting and it does not even work. Uh, it's true, Otis might have done something that he didn't need to do. But the gospel says that um, God doesn't send Otis to go lock himself up. The, the gospel says that uh, Jesus takes the punishment for Otis and frees Otis so that he may live uh, a life pleasing to God. He, he takes the penalty and the punishment, gives us his righteousness and empowers us to go live a new life. Otis, you are a free man. Go live a free life and honor God with your life. You don't have to keep locking yourself up and beating yourself up. Who the Son sets free is free indeed. Jesus already took the punishment for you. Uh, he's empowered you to live a new life, a holy life that is pleasing to him. So repentance and confession, that is in order. We are to repent and confess, but we're not to beat ourselves up. God has, Jesus took the beating for you. He's taken, taken enough of a beating for you. You don't have to beat yourself up. That is not that is not grace and I, and I just really want someone to hear that you don't have to beat yourself up lock yourself up jesus took that for you on the cross he has set you free so that you might live a free life we have been set free to live free let's go before our lord in prayer father god we thank you for your grace we thank you that you meet us in our mess that we don't have to become a better version of ourselves to be love worthy. And I just pray for those under my voice who are fighting to be love worthy by working more, obtaining more education, getting a new haircut, whatever we might try to do to make ourselves more lovely and attractive and accepting I mean, to this world. God, I pray that you will remind us that we are known and loved by you and that you meet us in our mess, uh, that we don't have to put on, uh, we don't have to play the moralistic game, and we don't have to beat ourselves up. It, it, that doesn't count for anything. The only thing that counts is you dying on the cross and giving us your perfect record. God, we love you and we thank you. It's in your mighty son's Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.